Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Rachel Mangan is a speech-language pathologist in private practice in Orlando, Florida, who specializes in working with children who are deaf or hard of hearing. Rachel is part of the Great Resignation and details how she transitioned from employee to private practice owner. Rachel's path to private practice was influenced by her son's cancer diagnosis. He's okay now, but living through that experience showed Rachel that life is precious, and if you have a dream, you should go for it. In this episode, she talks a lot about gratitude and how she uses the mantra, get to grateful, in her daily life as a mom and as a private practice owner. I've gotten to know Rachel in both the Start and Grow Your Private Practice programs and was thrilled to have her come on our podcast to share her story with you. If you've been thinking about starting or growing a private practice and want to hear how Rachel did it, this episode is a must listen, so stay tuned. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place. So let's get started. All right. So before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes. My name is Rachel Mangan, and I am located in Maitland, Florida, and our practice is called Gabriel Therapy Group. So I am so excited to do this interview because I have really gotten to know you in the GROW program where you are just rocking it. Let me just say, listeners, Rachel is rocking it. But before we get to like how things are going now, because I'm sure people are, are curious, can we go back to the beginning of your career and let people know kind of what that was like? And then also at what point did you start thinking about private practice? Yeah, those are great questions. I have to say, Jenna, I started following you a long time ago. I found you on Facebook, I believe, but it was I think it was probably around like 2015. When did you start doing independent? Y'all, I started doing this in 2008. So okay. 2015 I, was definitely I, a long time ago, but it wasn't the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it was around 2015. I started looking into 
how do I become a private practitioner? I always knew that it was something that I wanted to do. My parents were extremely entrepreneurial. Both my mom and my dad have their own companies now. And so it was always something that was just somewhat in my blood. And so as I became more refined in my practice, so to speak, I was ready to, I started in the hospital. So I was ready to kind of jump the nest. And so I slowly backed off my caseload at the hospital slowly started building up both private clients as well as working in some other clinics just to get a feel for a couple of other settings, had school contracts, things like that. So just started piecemealing together my job because I wanted to say, okay, what else is out there and where else do I need experience to be able to have a good, well-rounded mentality with all of this? So that was around 2015 that I started doing that. Shortly after, in 2016, my son was diagnosed with pediatric cancer. He had a brain tumor. And so that threw quite a wrench in the private practice plans. I ended up jumping on full-time at a school with one of my contracts. They were fantastic. I loved everything that I gained from that experience. But like I said, I always wanted to have my own practice. And so several years into his journey, he's doing fantastic, which is wonderful. But several years into that, you kind of get through the survival mode and you get into this new perspective of life of what is really the worst thing that could happen. And as an SLP, we have really secure jobs. I don't know if anybody knows that, but we are extremely secure in our position. And the worst thing that could happen was I jump back on with a school or I jump back on at the hospital or I would always be able to find a job. And so, I started looking around. I ended up taking a position at a private practice and quickly moved into leadership, got a lot of leadership experience there, grew a team from two clinicians up to about 19 clinicians. And then over the past year, decided to make the leap on my own. And so, you know, I I had what everybody aspires to have. I had the title, I had the leadership, I had all of that. But at the end of the day, I knew deep down that it was always a passion of mine to have a clinic of my own. And so I decided to somewhat take the leap. I slowly started backing my caseload down. I stepped down from a leadership position, became an SLP, slowly started backing my SLP caseload down and built up my private pay caseload. A little bit of a unique thing was we were looking to build not just so that I could get out of my job, but so that my husband could also get out of his job as well. And then we both delve headfirst into the business. I think something that's unique is because I had the leadership experience from my previous position. And then he also has business management experience. And then a newfound perspective of what else, what do you have to lose? You know, it kind of was this perfect concoction of if not now, then when? Because we have three kids, our schedules are very busy. We always have camps. We always have schools. We always have something coming up. And so it's like, you know, we can't just make excuses anymore because there's always going to be something there. And so I reached full-time capacity come May of this year. He now is finished at the restaurants and everything that he's been doing. And he's coming on full-time and we just hired our first clinician. So, oh my God, that's like a 12 year span in one like quick synopsis. But <laughs> think of how far you've come, right? Like between, you know, yeah. 
First of all, I love that you said that you just wanted to be well-rounded, right? Like you wanted to, you know, you did some schools, some hospitals, you know, sort of you had that, that clinical background. And then you started your, your private practice journey, which then had to be put on hold and for a very good reason, right? Like, and that happens from time to time. I can't, we had a a guest just a couple of weeks ago who had a a similar situation where she had had two like kind of false starts at trying. And then the third time was the charm for her, right? But so sometimes like that happens. But I think that you're absolutely right in that there's different life events than, that just shift our perspective and really help us think like, what do I really want and what does my family need? And so it sounds like you were able to achieve that through your practice. Yeah. And the most interesting thing is if you allow yourself through each experience, I was able to learn deeply in each position that I was in. Do I think that I would have been successful had Lanth have never gotten sick or anything like that? Like, sure. I think that the practice would have ultimately been successful. But at the same time, I I also feel like I learned so much through every experience that I had that I can't say that it should have been done any other way. I think everything has happened to get us to this point. I've learned more about insurance. I've learned more about schools. I And I feel as though it's all served us, to be honest. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you mentioned before we started recording was, you know, how much now that you care about advocacy, right? And parent coaching and how that's become a big part of your business and of your practice, where maybe that wouldn't have been the case had Lance not gotten sick. Yeah, 100%. Through his journey, we had to to learn what it looks like to take multiple professional opinions into account and make decisions when sometimes research supported it and sometimes it didn't. And I think that that's similar to some of the things that we go through in speech therapy. Sometimes we have conflicting research, you know, and so it's when you have parents that come to you with questions, it gave me a different perspective. I think before all of this, when a caretaker would come to me with questions, I was like, oh, no, did I do something wrong or is there something that I'm not doing that's correct when the reality is it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with that parent needing to feel or that caretaker needing to feel fully taken care of and provided for and that they are doing everything that they can do for their child. So I have a completely different perspective on parent advocacy, caretaker advocacy. I have several clinicians that I actually refer to for second opinions. And I'll say, this is this is my diagnosis. This is my treatment plan. But at the same time, if this is something that you're, I, I'm sensing that you're not comfortable with this and that's 100% okay. And as a mom, I expect for you to do everything that you want to do for your child. Let's get a second opinion from another clinician or let's talk to someone else. And let's make sure that we're we're on the best path possible for your family. And sometimes that is me and sometimes it's not. It's it's about learning your demographic and learning the people that you work with, too. And one, I require my parents to be in my sessions and to be down on the floor with me playing with their child. And I will say, "Okay, mom, now you're going to do this and we're going to see how little Johnny responds to that. And if that parent isn't willing to do that, that's perfectly fine. I'm just not the right clinician for them. And that really is okay. And so it's not taking that personally. It's knowing your niche, knowing your demographic, knowing who's in your neighborhood that you can help consult with and and research with. And 
I don't think that I would have had the confidence to do all of that had I not have been through what it is that I went through. It's, it's like a grounded confidence of knowing, one, what your worth is. Two, I really am skilled and knowledgeable in these areas, but I always am open to learning and open to collaborating because our field is so vast and it's knowing that parents just want what's best for their child. So yeah, it's been crazy rides. <laughs> well, I love that. Right. And I love, I think that the people who, you know, learn from their past, right. And then make changes based on that information, right. So like you, you've yeah. had the event happen. It has shaped not just your personal life, but your professional yeah. life. And the interesting thing I wanted to go back to is you said like at the practice that you had started working with, right. You, you rose to a leadership position. You were, you know, really helping with employing or training and all those kind of other things. Right. And so, like, in theory, like most people would think like that could be a dream job, right? And maybe yep. maybe you thought it was your dream job, even though you had in the back of your mind this whole private practice thing, right? But it's interesting yep. when when SLPs and OTs too, right? When we get our dream job and then realize it's actually not exactly what we thought, right? And sometimes there can be a little bit of, you know, kind of weird feelings about that. It could be a little unsettling, right? So, so tell everyone, how did you really decide, like, you know what, I'm going to go all in on this? And like, and what did you specifically do? Because I think that's when people are like, okay, I get it. I want to leave my job. But how would I actually do that? Yeah, that's a great question. It takes a lot of self-awareness. I'm going to start there because, and it takes a lot of time of being able to stop, sit down, let's really isolate what it is that we're feeling first and foremost. So that's kind of how it started is really trying to figure out, okay, is this stress? Is it anxiety? Is it sadness? Is it like, what is it? And then it's really associating that to what's causing this. Is it related to something bigger? Is this a season? Is this something that like, once we get over this hump, this is going to pass, you know? And so it's somewhat of analyzing that. For me, it came down to long-term goals where I wanted to be long-term for myself, financial goals and what it is financially that I feel as though my, my skills and expertise are worth. Willingness to, to work. I am willing to bust my tail for work, but I also need to know that it's for a cause and then it's not forever. I need to know that we're doing this. I don't mind 10 and 12 hour days temporarily to allow me to then be set up for having days with my family or things like that. So when those became cyclical, I then had to analyze, oh, wait, this is now a pattern. And then it's having to recognize not only am I working all of these hours, but how is it leaving me feeling inside? And it was complete depletion. I was depleted. I was not the mom that I knew I could be. I was not a very kind wife. I was not very kind to people in the community. I had just become pretty reclused, really. And I would go to work and I would do my job and I would come home and I just wanted to be home underneath a weighted blanket. Like it was one of those kind of scenarios. And that's not me. And some of it, I think, was COVID. Some of it, I think, COVID was just isolating in general. I think having to lead an organization of that size 
through something that people just have polar different views on is very difficult. And so I, I think that all of that played its role. And, you know, I, the article, The Great Resignation, it just, it's part true. I was part of that group, you know, and you just recognize I, I just need a change and I need to pivot. And so my first step being in a leadership position was to have the conversations with the other executive team members and stepping down. I care deeply about this organization. I've been with the organization for a long time. I started volunteering for them in 2014. And so it's an organization that I care deeply about. So I first stepped down, went back to treating. As I was treating, I then started following your steps in START. So I was pulling the names, I was pulling the tax IDs, I was pulling the EINs and NPIs and all of the yeah. acronyms. I was module two, right? You're just following the checklist, going through I was module going down the list in a row. 100% going down the list. And, uh, and so I would go to work. During the day, I had a couple of hours that I time blocked out to just work towards this. And we just would go down the list. And I started it. And for me, it's all about relationships. So one day, my husband was in the store. I was like, oh, hey, I need to call your wife. Is she doing speech still? Yeah, she is. And then I get a private client on my caseload. And so then I opened up to a couple of other people in the neighborhood. Hey, I'm starting to build a private caseload again. And the funny thing is, Jenna, all of our friends were like, thank goodness, we were wondering when this was going to happen. And so, and sure enough, my caseload just started to build and to build and to build. And I slowly started to let the doctors know that I work with. I am a huge supporter of collaboration. So I have great relationships with a lot of the doctors that refer to me, audiologists. I, I specialize in hearing loss. So I work really closely with audiologists. And so I just slowly started letting people know, hey, I'm looking to branch out. And if you have any referrals that you think would be appropriate, feel free to send them my way. And it's all really been via word of mouth. I totally resonate with your analysis paralysis statements because I I would go there. I would go down the checklist and then it would be like, now build your caseload or like marketing. Like now let's talk about the next step. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it's so easy to get caught up in one, because we're SLPs and we care about people. So it's so easy to get caught up in, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not doing this because I'm not happy with anyone in particular. I'm doing this because it's something that's deeply fulfilling for me. And so that's something that you have to wrestle with. So marketing becomes awkward. Even if you have a non-compete or you don't have any of that paperwork, in, I, I resonate with that feeling of it can be awkward, you know, but. But I think that the way that you talked about doing it is the non-awkward way to do it, right? Is, yeah. to, is to tell people like, hey, I'm, I'm starting my practice. Like these are the kind yep. of people I help. This is how I help them. I don't yep. have a wait list. Because I'm just started. So, you know, if, and you know me, right? We've worked together in the past. So, you know, the kinds of clients that I like to serve or that I serve best, right? And so, like, if you, if anyone comes along that you think would be a good fit and they're looking for therapy, like, please pass on my information. Right. That is right. helpful versus right. like pushy or what sometimes SLPs get nervous about doing. I actually haven't made a single flyer okay. for my practice. I, am solely word of mouth and solely relationship based. 
I sit down at Canva to go to make a flyer. I think you did like a, here's how you make a flyer. And I sat down to do it. And I was like, I am totally not the kind of person for this. And, but I've never had to. Well, you haven't. It's it's interesting. There's infinite ways to market your practice, right? And I think that one of the things that we try to get people to do in the Start Your Private Practice program is to get their first client as quickly as possible, right? Yep. And flyers yep. is a very slow strategy. Like flyers, yep. like social media posting, worrying about your logo, all of those kind of things feel productive. They feel like you're moving forward, even business cards, right? But we're not going to actually get you that first client as quickly as like doing a Facebook post or like going into a parent's, you know, group or telling your kids pediatrician or your friends and neighbors. Right. Just what you're saying about the relationships like that is how you get started fast. Right. So for those of you who are listening, who are like, I want to start like I'm on board here. I want to start. I want to get going quickly. Right. Because I want to do this and I need clients and I need money coming in and I want to help people, right? You can really do this the slow way or the fast way. And the fast way usually is by talking about it and by relationships and not with flyers. Yeah, it's totally true. That was the fast way for me. And I actually have a couple of, if you are not good at social media, like me, I'm not a social media guru, but I have a couple of friends that are. I told them And then they are in their mom groups. And anytime anyone was like, hey, does anyone know an SLP? You best believe they were on there tagging me. And I actually got two or three clients that way from where friends had tagged me in a post that I probably never would have seen. And I ended up getting a a couple clients that way as well. And so social media does does really work. But if you're not good at social media, that's okay because I'm not either. But I was able to have some friends that were able to advocate for me as well, which is really great. Yeah. No, I absolutely love that, right? There, There's lots of ways to do this. And ultimately, you have to do what's the most comfortable for you and also what is going to get you the most results, right? Like we have, you know, another person in our program is, you know, you know, Instagram famous or whatever, right? And so, you know, not surprisingly, she's getting most of her clients from Instagram. But that's, yeah. that's, her zone of genius, that's working really well for her. If you're yeah. you're terrified of doing anything like that on Instagram, well, first of all, you're it's going to take you a really long time. You're not going to feel good about it. It's not your zone of genius. So focus on what is your zone of genius. And like maybe that is just like, you know, for you, you know, relationships and talking to people. Yeah. Is that from the Big Leap book? Is that from that? I I just started listening to that this past week. Such a good, such a good book. It's in my sections it in. For those of you who know me, I have all of my books behind me. And I then I always have to remember what color is the book. Anyway, what color is it? I'm not seeing at the moment. But the Big Leap is an excellent book that I highly recommend. The author is Gay Hendricks. Is the name of the author. It's really about. Like whatever the next level is for you, right? And the book talks about this thing called the upper limit problem, which basically like when you're starting to think something where you're feeling some either internal resistance or you kind of just keep like self-sabotaging things and that kind of thing, it's usually because you're kind of hitting this upper limit problem, right? And SLPs love to talk about imposter syndrome, right? We love to, you know, we, we a lot of us face it. We try to work through it. It stops us, blah, blah, blah. But another way to think about it is what this book talks about with the the upper limit problem. 
But it's like when you have things that are starting to stop you, you have to make a decision. Am I going to let that thing stop me? Whether it's self-doubt, whether it's, you know, a billing error that you had to recorrect, whether it's you spent money on a marketing strategy that didn't pan out or you tried to speak a little public speaking thing at a support group and nobody came or something like that, right? Like you're going to face obstacles, but it's how you respond to them. And like, do you let those stop you or do you go around it, right? That is what makes the difference between successful private practitioners and stuck private practitioners. I 100% agree with that. And I I started, well, I do audiobooks. So I started listening to that book last week, actually, on my way home from a really terrible trip that I was taking. It was actually, it was a great family trip. I was dropping my kids off at camp. But my van ended up breaking down on the side of a highway, major highway, and I have four children on the side of the road and trying to execute something that ended up being very scary. In the moment, I didn't think that it was scary. In the moment, I was just executing and going through the list, trying to get my kids to camp. Afterwards, I had to stop and process, okay, yes, that was a traumatic experience. And I don't ever want to go through that again. And I had to take that, process it and say, but you know what? It's not the worst day that I've ever had. My son being diagnosed with cancer, that was the worst day that I had ever had. This is not the worst day that I've ever had. Everyone is safe. Everyone is where they're supposed to be. And this is something that has a solution. We can figure this out. And it's such a perspective moment. You know, I think when these things come up in our practices, in our lives, we're able to stop, put it in perspective. Everything is not burning down. What do we need to do to overcome this? And what can we do differently next time to put these guardrails up for ourselves? So today I went and bought a car. (laughs) And made sure that we did lots of research on the engines and the safety and the warranties and the roadside and all of this stuff to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And so it's definitely funny how when you put out there that you want to learn and you want to grow and you want to be shaped and you want to become the best version of yourself, how life sends to you ways to refine it. And it's going to give you opportunities to practice. Okay, you want to shift your perspective? Let's practice doing that. And I totally agree, Jenna. To have a successful private practice, you have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to change. No one could have planned for COVID. No one could have planned for any of the things that have happened. You can't plan for a parent to be frustrated with you or things like that. But what are you going to do about it? And that's ultimately what's going to determine your level of success is your ability to be flexible and and to shift your thinking. Yeah, for sure. Because it's going to happen again and again, right? Like if you draw a parallel to clinical practice, like how many times have you been prepared for a session that didn't go as planned, right? For one reason or another, like a million times, right? But like over time, you get a lot better at making changes or, or thinking on right. the fly about like, what do I do in this situation or right? But I think one of the reasons why SLPs are so susceptible for with analysis paralysis when it comes to private practice 
is because mm-hmm. they're facing decisions they've never made before, right? Like yeah. this is this is a chapter that I'm writing in my book. I actually wrote it today. When you're faced with with decisions and that you've never had to face before, yeah, well, level yeah. of analysis paralysis is much higher, right? But as you do things, you know, multiple times, you're exposed to these decisions again and again. It gets a lot easier. Just like yeah. when you first started in the profession, your first clients, you had no idea which treatment approach was the better one to use or what type of stimulus items would be better for a certain type of client, right? But you learned over time. And so the same thing is true for business skills, right? The yeah. other thing that that we were talking about at the beginning is, you know, starting a private practice is relatively easy in that there are steps to do, right? You do this and then you do that and then you do that, right? Growing a private practice is a bit more complicated because there are infinite ways that you can grow your practice, right? So, you know, when you joined the Grow Your Private Practice program, what were you thinking in terms of how you wanted to grow your practice? Yeah, I think this is probably why my husband wanted to go into business with me. I am a forever visionary. I love to dream. I love to think of every possibility under the sun. And he's more of the level-headed, practical, like, let's make sure that we can execute this within the next however many months. He's very good at timelines, Jenna. I have found I am terrible at timelines. I'm like, yeah, we can do this in like next week. Totally. Like, and, and no, this is a six month project that we're, that we're working on here, you know? So I have had to really work on my time estimation skills as well as some of a flow chart for decision making. Like, is this a right now thing or is this something that can be done that needs to be done later? And so, and how do we go about classifying that as something that needs to be done now versus needs to be done later? And I really had to analyze capacity. What is my capacity? I was the sole clinician. And so not only am I having to make sure that I'm bringing in all of the revenue, but you also have to build. And so when you go to hire your first clinician, there's this essence of that bubble that's growing and growing and growing. And you have to keep the balance of delicately carrying that bubble so that it doesn't pop before you can shrink it and pass it on to another clinician. You know, so there's a, there's a little bit of a dance there. So it's recognizing what your capacity is and then saying, am I able to take something else on and execute it at the level of quality that I feel as though it deserves? Can I give it the time that it deserves to grow it and nourish it? And if you look at your time-blocked schedule and you see, no, I'm now compromising my time or my family time or some something else to make this happen, then for me, that was an automatic not right now thing. But you best believe I have a dream board and it's <laughs> and it goes on that board. But shifting that mindset to growth, it's not just about how many programs can we offer or how many clients can we get. It's also getting strategic about what your capacity is and the pace and the cadence that you want to go about this at. You know, I said from the very beginning of this, I am not scared of failure, actually. I am extremely paralyzingly crippled by uncontrollable success. And success without systems or success without processes is 
going to lead you to a disaster every single time. And so I I think that the timeline is going to look different for everybody. And I think that the growth is going to look different for everybody. Me personally, I am a very busy mom of three kids and we have elementary and middle school and we have all the sports. And that that means it took six months before I could hire someone. It's only going to take another month or two before I hire someone else. But the reason is, is the system is in place for hiring. You know what I mean? And so then you just stamp and repeat. But that's very different than that initial hire that I wanted to make sure they were set up for success. So you write the contracts and you write the process and you do so. Yeah, I think it's going to look different for everyone, but it is very important to analyze, is this a right now or is this a later thing? And we're not taught those types of things in school to critically analyze our own decisions and our own paths. There's a lot we're not taught in school, Jenna. (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's a lot, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, I love what you said about like the right now stuff. Like that's something that like, I'm also a visionary and I get very excited about a lot of ideas, right? I don't know if anyone would like living in my brain, right? I can come up with a million ideas of how to serve private practitioners better, differently, more efficiently. This is all I think about, y'all, for better or worse. This is literally what I think about kind of all the time, right? But it's always a solution. We're one of those, all right, let's try something else. <laughs> it always is, but, but it's the order in which you do things and realizing that yeah. you can only do so many things well at right. one time, right? And so just like you have your husband, you know, I have my director of operations. Her name is Carolyn. She is my person who does that for me. Like I literally have a place in Asana where I, I write down all of my ideas and she really helps me be like, okay, this is a good one for right now. This is great for next year. This is, you know, whatever else, right? Yeah. But the thing that you said that I really liked too, was, which is about hiring is that, you know, the first hire is a little scary, right? You've never done it before. And so you, there's a lot to get in order. There's a lot to get ready for. But your mm-hmm. next hire is a lot easier, right? And so hiring is one of the main things that we help people with in the GROW program because we know that people haven't done it before, right? And so we want to make it as smooth for people as possible. But once yeah. you have that skill, it's a very repeatable skill. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's about asking questions clinical, of course, you want to have your your clinical expertise there, but it's about asking questions that align with your values too. Who are you as an individual? Who is your organization as individual? And and do you have alignment towards that as well? You know, and and it's looking at it for me when I hire, I want this to be mutually beneficial and I want a clinician to be just as happy to work for us as I am to have them work for us. I want it to be something that's not just a benefit for me to where I need to get these kids off my caseload because I got other things to do. Who am I going to get in here to fill it? It's let's take the time, set this person up for success so that ultimately they can help lead and maybe bring in more clinicians that are just like them or bring in families or children and take care of that part of your business and nurture it and grow it. I love leadership development so much. It's it's something that I, over the past however many years, have just completely delved into and really feel as though it's our job as bosses, which I don't even like that word. It's our job as leaders to be able to look at every single part of our organization 
and set each moment up for them to be their best selves. And if they're able to do that and you're able to lift them up and lift up your admin staff and lift up your parents and everybody all together, then the sky's the limit. That's really, I just, I am so excited when I see a team that's able to be energized by working together, but also that's able to shine in their lane because we really all do have such gifts and talents and skills. And I, I'm i a firm believer that people are doing the best they can with what they've been given. And if we believe that of all of those people that we're serving with, then I think we're able to refine each other and and grow together, you know? I'd com- I'm in complete agreement. And I love being able to have these conversations with private practitioners who who are a little yeah. bit further along too, right? Like I love talking to, you know, the beginners and I think that it's it's wonderful to hear, you know, what yeah. what some of the first wins are, right, from people. But when you have folks who are like able to share a different perspective on, yeah. on growth, I think that that's really pretty cool. What would you say, you know, the next, you know, six months to a year has in store for you in your practice? But I'm writing all of this now, you know, because I... We'll say everything that I've set, we've pretty much hit and exceeded beyond what my expectations could have been. You know, this has just been an absolutely incredible experience. I think not just because of the programs, the programs made me feel confident is really what they have helped. So thank you so much for for that because I feel confident in the decisions. The next six months for us, I'm really focusing on sustainability and being able to duplicate our processes, systems, and making sure that we have everything in place. We're taking the horse and we're putting it in the cart. So that way, as the doors continue to open, which they already are, we are able to run with this steady pace to where work is comfortable and to where we're not completely overwhelmed at the end of the day, inundated with not knowing what to do with these things. So the next six months for for us are really about continuing to refine our systems. Our intake process needs to get a bit more refined. Our phone calls need to get a bit more refined. Hiring is something that we have a process for and it worked and we're going to stamp and repeat. We're going to do that again. So I'm kind of just going through what's each individual step and process. We're working on payer sources. So we just got all of our stuff with Medicaid. We started out private pay, completely private pay. That is going to be mostly how we do business is going to remain private pay. We have a couple of insurances that we're working on getting in network with, but I am a type of clinician. I like to go deeper with my clients. And if I need an hour and a half or two hours to eval, then I need an hour and a half or two hours to eval. And that's, I firmly believe in that and that we should be able to provide that. And and because of that, I have to be mindful of how that looks financially. So that's our payer sources. And then being able to hire another clinician because I've got a couple of school contracts that are in the works right now, as well as a couple of preschool screenings that are in the works right now. So I'm like, okay, in the next month, we're really going to need to have another clinician. I do feel as though the best process that we've put in place so far has been what, what we call our success reviews. 
And we do this with our parents as well as with our staff. So I do it with my husband. He does this with me. And then I do it with our other clinician as well. And basically what that is, is I don't wait with my parents to get to the three months or six months reevaluation to ask them, so how's everything going? We do this either every other week, bare minimum once a month, but we ask, okay, so what are all of the things that are working well for you? What are the things that we can do to make this even better? For our clients, I do make the parents state their goals. I'm a firm believer that if a parent cannot state what their child's therapy goals are, they are not going to be able to carry them over into the home environment or into any other environment. So we do go through that. For staff members, we have been working on stating our goals to each other and being vulnerable and transparent with that as a form of accountability. I want to be accountable to my staff of this is my goal for this month is that we are able to have three preschool screenings and that we're able to do this. What's your goal for this month? Well, I'd like to take a CEU in this and then I would like to just have the books in order, you know, things, things like that to where we take time and we share what our goals are, because I think that there's power in in sharing that and vocalizing it and verbalizing it for accountability to yourself, self-integrity, but also to your team. I also think it allows for you to be able to ask for help. So when it comes to parent coaching, if our parents are like, hey, I know that we have this as a goal, but I really have no idea what this means. Okay, great. Let's talk about it. Same thing with stating goals, monthly goals here. You know, I'd I'd like to be a little bit better with, I don't know, oral motor practice or something along those lines. But do you have any courses that you might recommend or something that you know of or that's worked for you in the past? So it creates great collaboration. And then we also have idea discussions of like, what ideas do you have that can make this even better? Or these are the systems we've been working on. So what can make it even better? So we take time and it's, it's very brief, very quick. But that is one system that I think the success review has, has become a way that we can debrief scenarios that happen daily. And it sets up an environment where there's not shame. It sets up an environment to where you're not doing something wrong. They're not doing something wrong. Something has happened. We're going to grow from it and we're going to do better next time. And that's really, I think at this point, what has been our most successful thing and what that one's definitely going to continue through the next six months as well. So growth wise, I have a number in mind. It's a big, hairy, scary goal, but I actually, I I genuinely feel like we can do it. And I get there and I like get all anxious and nervous, you know, but I think that's every business owner. I think some of us, I think, I think sometimes that's what we thrive on is that well, and it's Excited. about seeing whatever that goal is and then just making it happen, right? Running everything through the lens of, is that going to get me closer to my goals, right? Like like you said, you come up with a lot of good ideas, right? As yeah. do I. Not all of my ideas are good ideas, but it's a lot of ideas, right? But the idea is, <laughs> to use the word idea again, is like, is this new thing that you've just come up with going to get us closer to the goal or potentially yeah. further away from it. So I use goal setting not just as a, you know, a you know, a plan and you know whatever else, but really as a lens to mm-hmm. to run through the kinds of decisions that you're making 
on a daily basis, right? So, you know, I have no doubt that you will get to that number and that you will <laughs> pop in some champagne, you know, at the end of the year or right? But I think that if we, we, it, we got to set big goals for ourselves because if you set an achievable goal, like that's cool, right? You'll feel good about it. But when you set these kind of stretch goals, it does make you work not just a little bit harder, but it really makes you work smarter. And that's what I think is the most important thing. I think that that is 100% where we're at. And we are at a place to where let's work smarter about this. Let's take the time, set up the things that we need to. Our operations aren't super hard. We don't have a whole lot of crazy components that go into them. You know what I mean? So let's just make sure that that's in place. You know, it's about, I think it was the author of Eat, Pray, Love. I was listening to a podcast that she did and she stated talking about her journey as an author and she was like, I just don't have the time. I had, I'm working three jobs. I'm trying to pay the rent. I'm going to school. I'm doing this, that, and the other. And one of her mentors that she looked up to was like, so when are you going to write? And she goes, I just told you, I don't have time to write. I have three jobs. I have this. She goes, but I thought you said you want to be an author. And she goes, I do. She goes, oh, okay. Well, then the next day she asked her, she goes, oh, so what are you doing with spring break? Spring break's coming up next week. And she goes, oh, I'm going to the beach with my friends. And she goes, oh, interesting. So when are you going to write? And she kind of looked at her and she goes, oh, I see what you're doing. I have to say no to the things that I don't want to do so that I can be successful. And she goes, no, honey, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you have to say no to some of the things that you do want to do in order for you to achieve the biggest goal that you want to achieve. And when I heard that, that resonated deeply with me with that whole work smarter, not harder kind of concept to where with my business, there are a lot of things that I want to do. But do I say yes to those things right now? Is that going to get me where I ultimately want to be by the end of the year, by the end of these three months? And we have posted on our meeting notes, our why for being here, our why for being here and why my husband and I started this was to be able to be fully fulfilled and present with both our work and with our family. And if we're not doing that, we're missing the point of this life. You know, if we are not here fulfilling joy and happiness for ourselves and for those we come in contact with and for those little creatures that we're raising at home, why are we doing all of this? So that is number one. But then number two is to be able to overflow that joy and that hope and that purpose into every single person that we serve. And that even came into our branding so significantly as we were talking about our logo and the name. Gabriel is my son, but then Gabriel Therapy Group is GTG. And my mom would always say, yes, Rachel, that was really terrible, but get to grateful. What are you grateful for? What did you learn from it? And granted, not in the moment, but as you're able to process these things. And that's really what we hope to bring to those that we serve is Your child is a gift and this is a blessing on your life and they are made exactly how they are supposed to be and you are the perfect parent for them. And I'm just grateful that you're here and I want to share this hope and this joy with you. And that's ultimately what we wanted to share through 
our branding and through our name. And we want parents to be able to exhale. And any decision that comes in, that's the lens and the filter that we have to process through. And if we're not, then we're not living according to our why or our purpose. And and it's really going to cause us to be off kilter, you know. So all of that just totally resonated with me when she said that. I'm like, that's how this has to go. (laughs) Yes. And it makes such a difference when you start a company really for your values, right? And you have a values-based business and you and everything that every decision you make comes through the lens of what is it that is your purpose and your why and everything else. And it has been so amazing to hear your story, to hear how you're running your practice, how you started, how you're growing, and just how you're doing. And I am so incredibly grateful to use that word that for you to, you know, be, you know, part of these programs, to be on the podcast, to be sharing your journey with our listeners. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jenna. And I just want you to know you are one of the most inspirational, accepting, inclusive type people. Your energy is infectious. And I have thoroughly loved being in classes with you and learning from you. And I just love how you encourage people to show up as their best selves. And I just totally respect that from you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your programs and for what you do. It has made a world of difference. And I'm so grateful to be a part. Well, thank you so much. We got me all choked up there, but th- thank you so much. And and maybe we'll do this again in a year or so, and we can do a Where yeah. Should Now episode for the listeners. Run, let's do it. I look forward to it. Don't you just love Rachel? I love her energy and how she turned a very stressful and difficult situation into a new dream for herself, her family, and the clients that she's serving. I also like how she talked about leadership and what it takes to be a business owner. Rachel is part of two of our programs. She started in the Start Your Private Practice program, and then she transitioned into the Grow Your Private Practice program when she was ready to grow. If you would like to learn more about our programs and how we can support you across your private practice journey, just like we've supported Rachel and many of the people that you've heard on the podcast, please visit independentclinician.com. As always, thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Till then. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at Independent Clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.